So let's try to understand a fundamental <laughs> aspect of the of Pesach. Hopefully, if we can work it out well enough together, it will make a difference to our experience this year. There's a question that's raised, and if we concentrate together, we can go very deep. There's a question that's raised by one of the famous Kabbalistic thinkers, well-known figure in this field who writes from an unusual perspective. There's a question that he raises on a comment that's made by one of the perhaps greatest Kabbalistic masters of all time, the Arizal, who lived uh, in the 1500s in, in Svat. He said a certain thing, attributed to him a certain comment, which raises certain difficulties. Let's try and understand that statement, and then try and understand the problem. Maybe these people can just move forward one step so that they can fit in at the back. Can you do that? You all move forward one step, we'll be able to. (coughs) Let's follow it through. The result said as follows. That when we were in Egypt, in Mitzrayim, We were on the 49th level of impurity. Always needs explanation, but let's piece it together. We were on the 49th level of what's called Tumah, impurity. Had we lasted any longer, had we remained any longer there, we would have disappeared. We would have entered the 50th level, and the 50th always means that which is beyond all levels. In English you call it the point of no return. That's what the 50th means. You know, there are 50 days, there are 49 days from Pesach to Shavuot, right? To the giving of the Torah, which is the pinnacle of spiritual awareness or consciousness or greatness. There are 50 days. 50 days there will teach us what 50 days are on the negative side. 50 days on the positive side means that when you go beyond the 49th, you enter the level that is beyond all levels. Perhaps the best way, perhaps during the Spirit of we'll be able to study this a little bit together. But just by way of beginning to hear what's meant is the idea that, you know, the Torah says you shall count 50 days. The days between Pesach and Shavuot, right, are 50 days. And the Torah says explicitly, explicitly, that means quite clearly count 50 days. Anyone who knows anything about Judaism knows that we do not count 50 days. We count 49 days. And the 50th day is the Yom Tov of, of Shavuot. We don't count the 50th day. We take the Torah very literally. If it says count 50 days, there's no way in the world that we will omit that mitzvah. So how come we do not, in fact, count the 50th day? It's a problem. Uh, you have an explicit mitzvah in the Torah. Are we together? Doubtful. Yeah. <laughs> it says, count 50 days. Tis hamishim yom. Count 50 days. And we count day one, we stand up in the evening and we count it. We count day two, we speak it out. We count day... When it comes to the 50th day, we don't say anything. It's the, it's the yom tov. I'm sure we enjoy, we enjoy, we celebrate the chag, the yom tov. Why don't we count the 50th day? Without going into detail, the idea is this, that in Jewish thinking, the concept of 50 is always that which goes beyond that which can be counted. It's not a number, it's beyond all numbers. 
The concept of 49 is that which can be counted. This is based on the well-known, <coughs> no matter how little background you have in Judaism, you have to know that this Jewish spiritual system is based on the concept of seven. The explicit world, the revealed world, is based on seven dimensions. And of course, 49 days only means, why 49? If there are seven spiritual emanations or dimensions, why do we celebrate 49 days? The concept is that everything in the world is built on seven, then of course each of those must also be built on seven. So there must be 49 elements. Of course, each of those also has seven, and it goes on endlessly. But once you've said 49, you've said the totality of the idea. you said that there's seven elements, and that each of those right, obeys the rules of everything that's created, and therefore there are 49 basic steps. Don't see too much enlightenment dawning here. You know that the, the world is built on seven. You know, you're familiar with that, right? There's seven colors in the spectrum of light. There's seven notes in the musical scale. That's a remarkable coincidence for a world that's accidental. You know that. There's seven notes. The world of sound, there's seven notes. The eighth note of the octave is the same as the first. There's seven different notes. And the wavelengths of light in the spectrum obey the same mathematical rules as the frequencies of sound that make up the seven notes in the musical scale. And the pattern's exactly the same. There are three primary colors in light, from which all the other colors are made. There are three primary notes in the musical scale, the tonic, dominant, and subdominant notes. Anyone who knows anything about music knows that there are three primary, and the pattern's exactly the same. The world's built on seven elements. Each of them, of course, is built on seven. And therefore, there are 49 basic measures of reality. You know the word in Hebrew for a measure is midah. Midah adds up to 49. Mem Dalad Hay is 49. Which means that the 50th is called Yam in Hebrew. It means the, the world of the ocean, which is a Yud and Mem. That's another discussion for another time. But it means that which transcends measure. So the 50th day, the way we count the 50th day is by not counting it. That's a remarkable and beautiful sensitivity. The way we count the 50th day is that on that night we say nothing. Because if you stood up and said 50, you'd be giving it a number. You'd be limiting it to a number. And it's that which goes beyond number. So the way we count the 50th day, we do observe that commandment, but we do it in the true sense of what 50 means. 50 means that which goes beyond, that's called Shar Hanun. Shar Hanun means the 50th gate, beyond the 49 gates of, of, of measurable building blocks of everything that is real. Now, that perhaps we'll leave for another time. But what can we extract from that discussion? That understanding is the idea that there are 49 levels of reality, and the 50th transcends all levels. Let's transfer that, translate that, into the negative side. If we were in Egypt on the 49th level of impurity, the 50th means that which is beyond all levels. If you enter that gate, you do not come back. Had we lasted any longer in the spiritual contamination of, of Egypt, in Egypt is a place of the, the words that are used for it in the, in, the, in the rabbinic and Torah writings are almost unrepeatable. You know, Egypt... Mitzrayim is called Ervata Aretz. You know what that means? It's not even translatable in English. It means that the lowest point of the earth, right, there was tremendous immorality and, and sensual impurity in every, in, every, in every possible way. People were tremendously impure. In fact, the sources say, for example, that on the, on the night of the killing of the firstborn, when Egypt was destroyed... The surprise was that in every home someone died. And in every Egyptian home it was not the firstborn. But it was the firstborn. But they didn't know it was the firstborn. 
They were so immoral that every, that every Egyptian whom they, the mother thought was a firstborn, the father knew better. And who the father thought was a firstborn, the mother knew wasn't. And there was a moment of revelation. There was a moment of, 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 of showdown. There was a revelation of the impurity at that moment. <coughs> so Egypt was a place of tremendous, indescribable impurity. And had we lasted any longer in that, in that negative energy, we would have disappeared. The 50th gate of impurity means we would never have returned, we would have been destroyed. And therefore, he took us out at the last moment. At that moment, in fact, uh, it's quite, quite clear in the explicit level of commentaries that we were meant to be there for 400 years. And after 210 years, we were taken out precipitously and in a very, very fast, right, in a, in a, in a, in a wink of an eye, we were taken out. Why? Says the Ari, because had we lasted any longer, we would have disappeared. We would have become so contaminated and so heavy with the Egyptian impurity that we would have disappeared. That's what he says. So far, so good. Now, this uh, source whom I mentioned earlier raises the following difficulty with this comment. Now, stay with me carefully. You have to understand the problem in order to be able to understand and enjoy the answer. <coughs> he says this. At, this, uh, this is an attack. This is a difficulty from the deeper dimension. I have to understand this carefully. Marvelous thing to understand. He says this, How is it possible to say that one more moment in Egypt would have destroyed us? Do you know what one more moment in Egypt would have been? Again, again, let's think accurately, not vaguely. One more moment in Egypt means what? That at that last midnight, when the firstborn died, and the Jewish people went out rapidly from Egypt, it says, Chipazon means in a very, in a hurried fashion, right? They stood there, Poised to go. They, 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 they celebrated the, the, the Seder that night with their shoes on their feet, their, their loins girded, their staffs in their hands, and poised to leave in a hurry. Why? Because had they left slowly, another few minutes of the time that it would have taken to exit Egypt would have destroyed us. We would have become sunk in Egyptian impurity. Sunk in Egyptian impurity at that incredible voltage? Five more minutes in that night when Egypt had been destroyed and Hashem was revealing Himself openly? Do you hear the problem? Let's try again. <laughs> if he had said, if Arizal would have come along and said that any more time in Egypt, meaning time in slavery, time in the bondage of Egyptian social and sociological forces, etc., that the slavery had lasted another week, another month, I could hear. But he doesn't say that. He says another moment at the moment of the Exodus. You know, the way it, it's important to know, the way it went was that when the plagues began, when the ten plagues began in Egypt, the slavery ended. For that full year, during which all the plagues were manifest, the Jews were not enslaved. The Egyptians had no power to enslave them after the first plague. What happened then, over the months, was that Hashem revealed Himself step by step, reaching that crescendo of the last and tenth of the plagues, which is the killing of the firstborn, which Hashem did Himself personally. But for the whole process of the plagues, the Jews were not enslaved. They watched the shows. They watched ten dimensions of Egypt being destroyed. So that by the time it reached the climax of the last moment, the destruction of Egypt was almost total. All that was left of them was wiped out seven days later in the sea. They were almost completely destroyed. The slavery had long ended. The supremacy and, 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 and chosenness of the Jewish people was manifest already. How can you say that one more minute of that would have destroyed us in Egyptian impurity? If you said one more minute or one more week or one more month of the slavery a year before, that would make sense. 
But he says quite literally that one more moment, in fact, he says, had we gone out slowly, it would have been too much. What does that mean? Do we share the problem? Do you know what that, do you know what that last moment was when the Jews left Egypt? Do you know what the voltage, you know what the electricity was like? You see, on a simple level, it means that Hashem revealed Himself, and He destroyed the firstborn, the Jews were saved. <coughs> but on a deeper level, <coughs> the deeper sources say, it was a moment of arriving at the, the spark of creation itself. <coughs> you know that the ten plagues, you know that any time the Torah talks about ten things, we said that there's seven elements to the building of the world, but there are three hidden things. There are three things that are the root levels in thought, what's called the Gimel Rishonim, the three things that take place in the mind. In total, there are ten levels that build the world. Anytime the Torah talks about ten, the ten are always parallel. That's an axiom in Torah. If the world was created in ten sayings, there are ten commandments, there were ten trials and ordeals that we went through in the desert. Avram Avinu went through ten of his own personal experiences, there were ten plagues, etc. They all parallel each other exactly. What is the process of these ten? Where do they start? Where do they end? The Maral says, the Maral says, that the plagues went in reverse order of the sayings of creation. Since they parallel, we have to match them up. You know that the world was created in ten sayings. Yes? You familiar with that? The first was in the beginning, according to the, according to the Gemara. In the beginning. That means it wasn't even a saying. It was the moment of firstness. The moment of beginning. That's called Barashas. In the beginning. The second was, Yehi Or, let there be light. There were ten sayings that built the world. Says the Maral that the plagues in Egypt pre- proceeded in reverse order. <laughs> Why? Because the world was built in ten layers. How do you build something? You start from the infinite center, you lay down something, a seed, then you build something around that, and then you accrete around the layers each time a new layer on the outside. But when you purify something, you must peel away the layers, the layers from the outside until you reach the pure center. So the building of the world went from the center outwards, and the purification of the world, the Egyptians had contaminated all ten levels of the spiritual creation. So Hashem purified, taught the Jews how it's done, and we witnessed the whole contamination of Egyptian, of the Egyptian spiritual system, detoxified, if you like, from the outside in. And if you trace it, you'll see that they go in reverse order. What is the first of the sayings of creation? In the beginning. What is the last of the plagues? Killing of the firstborn. Destruction of the impure moment of firstness. What is the second of the sayings of creation? Let there be light. What was the second last of the plagues? Darkness. The Maral works out, I mean, I presume this is what you tell your children at the Seder. This, this is not fa- fancy footwork. This is simple, chat, simple, straightforward. And the Maral, you should look it up yourself, he traces all ten of them in their sequence and shows how the plagues were an exact reversal of the process of creation. But what do you see? What do you see from this? You see that when the world began with that infinite center that contained everything, and then it slowly expanded into its more and more explicit and more and more concrete levels, that's the process. But when the plagues occurred, they went in reverse order. You know what it means? It means that that last incredible moment of midnight, we had reached the center, of the, the center of the creation of the world. The voltage then was parallel exactly to the moment of the creation. It's always like that. In Avram Avinu's tests, he had ten tests as well. What was his ten? Having to kill his firstborn. Can you see the parallel? having to arrive at the moment of his own new creation and firstness, and having to be able to yield that. They're always parallel exactly. So that tenth midnight was a moment of reaching the center of the universe, the moment of creation, talking about a voltage that goes beyond any ability to express. And Arizal comes along and says that had we lasted any longer in that, we would have disappeared and been lost. We would have become Egyptians. 
I presume we, we share the question. Do we? Yeah. <coughs> What's the answer to this question? <coughs> First of all, let me share you his answer. Let me share with you his answer. It's not the direction that I'd like to take this evening. Chan build up another direction that comes from other sources, but just for completeness and for the beauty of it, you know, in Torah we understand that there are no, in these issues there are no arguments. Each, each position in an argument like this is really just a different facet of a beautiful jewel. That it's not an argument. In these deep areas of Torah, each opinion is another facet of the same jewel. That it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. But he says, he says an answer that is wonderful, although I'd not like to spend this evening on it, he says this, Had we spent five more minutes in, in, in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, we would have disappeared. But not out the bottom. We would have disappeared out the top. The voltage was so high, we would have disappeared. We would have become superhuman, transcendent beings and spiraled back instantly to the source of creation. The whole world would have arrived at its perfection instantaneously. And that was not meant to be. Because that's not, that's not the way the world is created. The way the world is created is that Hashem gives you an uplift that is, almost takes you to the pinnacle of perfection, and almost when you're there, he takes it away, and he says, now you do it yourself. The process of the creation of the world is always a free uplift, and then a very cruel disappointment, we discussed this before here on one occasion a few months ago, there's a very cruel disappointment which challenges you to do it yourself, because the purpose of being here is for you to do it, not to be given it for free. And that's the process of the Exodus. The process was that Hashem took us out for free, and when we rode that crest of a wave, of that incredible energy, he pulled it away and he said, now you're in a desert, do it yourself. And you can see the parallels. In Egypt, he destroyed all ten dimensions of the Egyptians for free. We sat back and watched. In the desert, we went through ten lethal ordeals ourselves over the years, and we lost all of them. The message was, you see how it's done? Now you do it in the desert yourself. The process of life, and it's not tonight's subject in detail, is that all experiences in life begin with a free uplift, and then it gets taken away, and there's a letdown, and then you have to do it yourself. Pesach is the root of this teaching. In fact, the, the, the Medaktikim, the, the, the deep commentaries say that Pesach means leaping over levels. You can leap over the normal stages. In Hebrew, the word Pesach means to leap over. You can leap on Pesach to the 50th level without having to traverse the steps. That's the good news. The bad news is that when you come down, you've got to earn it. That means when it's taken away and you're clutching with your teeth and nails to the level that you leapt to, you can have it, but now you have to pay. It's what you call fly now, pay later. That's what he said. You have to first night of Pesach. In fact, it's written in the deeper sources that on the first night of Pesach you can have whatever you want, whatever you want. It's a night of such unreal uplift. Anything you set yourself, anything you want, anything you ask for, you have it for free. That's why it's the only night in the year where the the, the laws of that night are the laws that govern a day and not a night. It's called in halachic sources. It's called a day and not a night. It's a night that achieves the level of a day. It's a one night you don't have to lock your doors. You don't need to say the verses, the psukim of protection that you normally say at night. It's a night when Hashem comes and does it all. In fact, if you really, if you really want to know in the, in the deep sources, in the, it says that it's a night that is so high that we don't even have to daven Mariv. You know that? The evening prayers that we say every night are not necessary on that night. You know why? Because... Again, this is, each of these issues is a deep discussion in its own right. Do you know that when we pray, when the Jewish people get together and we dove and we, we, we pray, we make certain, certain things happen in the higher, certain connections are made in the higher worlds, and certain things develop there, and then they come down and influence the world. 
needs discussion. But that's what happens. On the first night of Pesach, it's all happening by itself. It's a night when Hashem does everything Himself. We're not required to do anything. And therefore, on that night, you don't even have to dive in Mayrif. And some of the recent Kabbalistic authorities say, so why do we? So why do we get up and dive in Mayrif on that night? The answer is just to make ourselves part of what's happening. We don't need to cause it. The rest of the year, we need to work hard. Tefillah is called Avodah Shebelev, the work of the heart. We need to make things happen. On the first night of Pesach, we don't have to make it happen. We just have to make ourselves ride the crest of that wave. You need to have your surfboard and stand up on the wave. It'll take you automatically. The energy is there, but you have to ride it. So the reason we get up on that night and daven is not like the other nights. When it says, why is this night different from all other nights, that's what it means. That's what it really means. This night is different from all other nights because all other nights we make things happen. And on this night they happen for free. We just have to get up and want them. That's all. Whatever you want for yourself on the first night of Pesach, any level you want, any degree of refinement, anything that you undertake that you're going to work on yourself, you're given it for free. It's guaranteed. It's all there. It's all flowing out automatically. The question is, will you put your money where your mouth is afterwards? Will you show that you meant business? Will you show that you prepared to do the work that's needed to hold on? If not, you lose it. And you could lose it worse than you didn't have it before. The fall could hurt you worse than where you were before. Because before you were down, this time you fell. To be careful what you take on. To be careful that you're, going to mean, that you're going to mean business and you're going to do it. Not simple. But nevertheless, that's the process. So we're talking about a night when the whole, the world's being created on that night. The Jewish people are being formed. We've gone back to the moment of the point of origin. And that's why he says that had we lasted any more in that environment, we would have gone back to the point of origin. We would have disappeared. Achieve perfection. And that's not the process. The process is you get it for free now, but before it reaches its climax and its ultimate perfection, it gets taken away, and the inspiration that you've derived from being there is what helps you go through the difficulties of walking through the desert of your own experience until you reach Sinai, which you built yourself. As I think we mentioned once before, it's like a father takes his little child and he lifts him to his feet for the first time and he holds his hand while the child takes his first step. It's an exhilarating moment. The child is taking his first step. He's walking. But not only is he walking, he's absolutely secure. He's standing for the first time. He's taking his first step. And Abba's holding his hands. And just as he feels the thrill of that incredible moment, that's when Abba lets go. That's when Abba lets go. And then he feels betrayed. He's now standing. There's no way out of this. And the one whom he trusted most deeply is the one who's abandoned him. But that's when he learns to walk. But that's when he learns to walk. And then after he takes that first frightened and lonely, unaided step, that's when he runs into his father's arms and begins to realize that in the moment of abandonment was a greater love manifest than in the moment of the sport. That's the pattern of life. That's the way it works. That's the way it goes. First night of Pesach, free gift, whatever you want. The Jewish people were formed, did nothing for it. But before it reached its ultimate climax, Hashem said, that's enough. You like it, now do it yourself. And we moved on to build ourselves into what we became. Then you arrive at Sinai, which is us rushing into our father's arms, the two together, a realization. In the, in the, in the zodiac system, the mazalot, you know, the, the, um, the twelve astrological signs, right? Pesach is called, Pesach is Nisan. Nisan in Hebrew means miracles. The month of miracles, you don't do anything, it all happens miraculously. And it's, that is the zodiac of the sheep. It's a passive animal that gets led, it doesn't do its own work. The next month, Iyar, is the month of the bull. That's the animal that has, develops its own willful strength. Complete opposite. And the third month when the Torah is given is Sivan, that's called Tomim, twins, Gemini. That's the perfect harmony of equals. So As and Hashem, they're written in the oral law, the two tablets, Moshe and Aaron. That's the, first, it's done for you, then you do it entirely on your own, and then it's the perfect harmony. That's the process. 
That's his answer that we would have we would have lost it by moving out of the top. We would have disappeared. We would have reached perfection, which is not through our own effort, and therefore we had to move out fast. But that's a very unconventional answer, wonderful answer. Needs a lot of thought. Let's take a different direction this evening, in the time that's left to us, and see if we can establish another principle that's fundamental to an understanding of what the Jewish people are. Now, to understand this, we'll have to delve deeply into a concept that is brought to light most explicitly in the, in the writings of the Maharal. And he says this, Time, let's, let's concentrate together. Time is one of the parts of the physical world. The world that we inhabit is the world of time. We have space dimensions, and we have the dimension of time. In certain senses, the time dimension is higher, it holds all the others. The, the, the deep sources say that it's a woman's dimension, that's why a woman resonates with time. That's why women are exempt from time-bound mitzvahs, unlike men, because they're already in tune, their bodies already... They already exist within the dimension of time. They know what that means. Men do not. But the dimension of time is one of the dimensions in which human activity takes place. Just like space. Time, in fact, holds space. Time is part of the creation. The point of being Jewish, the reason that the Jewish people are here, is to transcend the creation. What it means to be a Jew is not to fit into the created world, but to fit into it only enough so that you can leap beyond it. That's the Jewish pathway. Our task here is not to fit into physicality, into space and time. Our task here is to, fit, is to use the dimensions of space and time to reach beyond them. You know, the first Jewish child born was Yitzchak, right? Avram Avinu was the first person who began that pathway, the first child born in that process was Yitzchak. The same Arizal whom we're discussing this evening says that the word Yitzchak spells Ketzchai, death in life. Ketz means the final revelation of perfection while yet alive in this world. That's the path of a Jew. It's to live here with your feet on this world and extend into another world. What's the secret of doing this? Now, please, follow me carefully. You have to understand this clearly because this is not exactly what we're not doing in this generation. Which is why we're still enslaved. The point of being Jewish means that you stand with your feet on the ground, but you make sure your head is someplace else. You use the physical dimensions of space, time, your body, physicality, your earthiness. You use them as the springboard that leaps you into another dimension. How do you do this? You do it by using all the dimensions of physicality exactly as much as is needed and not one drop more. As soon as you expand in space or time, you use more than you need, you've sunk into it and you're lost. Again, the principle in the, in, the, in the sources that talk about it, it's called prishut. Prishut means leaving behind and transcending physicality. How do you do that? Anyone who knows anything about Judaism knows that we don't leave the physical world. We're involved in the, yeah, Judaism. You have to get married. You have to drink wine. You have to eat. You have to use the body. In fact, it says in the, 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 the Talmud, the Gemara says that in the next world, the first thing they ask you, they ask you a set of questions. One of the things they ask you is why you did not enjoy every physical pleasure of this world. You held, to account, you held to account for that. The Gemara even goes into the forbidden pleasures of the world and shows you how you could have enjoyed them in a kosher fashion. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> 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 so,
so the point of being Jewish is that we use the physical world, and yet we're supposed to be above it. How's that done? Precious means separating yourself from physicality, from the, for the sake of the physicality. But to use the physical world and all its dimensions in order to rise above it, that's exactly what you're here for. You need a body. You need a body. You can't get married without a body. You can't have friends. You can't, have, you can't function here without the physicality. That's the greatness right, of being in this world for all its loveliness. But the point of being Jewish is to take this world and use it to extend beyond it. How do you do that? You never take one drop out of this world more than what you need. As soon as you take something out of this world for its own sake, then you sunk into the world. While you're only taking things out of this world as the starting point and the springboard that pushes you beyond it, that's what a Jew is supposed to be. Now that applies in all dimensions, but let's look at time for this evening. When you do things slowly, you become part of the world. When you do things fast, that means you move fast enough to use only that amount of time that you need to do the thing, you're pushing the limits of being on the physical world. Just like you should never eat more than you need, just like you should never use more of the pleasures and comforts and sensuous elements of the world than you need for, for, for rocketing you off into another dimension, you may never use more time. The Maral says clearly that when you slow down and you expand into the relaxed mode of time, then you become a creature of time itself, you become part of the world. How much time should you use? We're not talking about rushing and making mistakes. Sometimes the speed you should move at is very slow, but it should be the maximum speed. As soon as you relax, like you've got all the world and all its time, then you become a creature of the world and its time. You want to live beyond it? You move fast enough. That in the spiritual thinking is called zrizus. It means... It doesn't mean rushing. Again, make no mistake. But it means utilizing no more than is necessary. Let's try and feel this out a little bit more deeply. And let's try and feel its relevance to Pesach. <coughs> Neymar says the following thing. Mitzvah ha When a mitzvah comes to your hand, al tachmitzena. Do not let it go sour. Listen carefully. It's an unbelievable thing. When a mitzvah comes to your hand, act fast. You know, al tachmitzena in Hebrew means don't let it slow down. Don't let it... When a mitzvah comes to your hand, don't let it become sour. Now, do it while it's fresh and push the limits of the time dimension that's necessary. <laughs> but listen to the words. When a mitzvah comes to your hand, do not let it become sour. The word tachmitzen in Hebrew means become chametz, become chametz. And the word mitzvah is the same word in Hebrew as matzah. Again, what's the connection? When a mitzvah comes your way, act with alacrity and do it. Don't let it become Sour means, when you have a matzah, don't let it become chometz. What's the difference between matzah and chometz? Unlike all other mitzvahs in the Torah, the only difference is time. You know what matzah is? It's flour and water that gets baked within a certain amount of time. It gets baked within the minimum time period that has not started to become fermented. It's 18 minutes. If you wait two more seconds, it becomes chometz. You added no trophy ingredient, nothing else happened. All that was added was two extra seconds of time. You waited that extra second of time, Matzah becomes chometz. You know what's the difference between matzah and chometz? Matzah is a positive mitzvah of the Torah, which elevates you into the next world. And chometz is spiritual excision and death. And by the way, it has no limits. Unlike all other unkosher things, chometz has no limits. You know, if you eat unkosher meat, or you eat meat and milk mixed together, there's a statutory amount you have to eat. Eat less than that. Of course, it's forbidden. But it doesn't have the same not effect. 
It can be annulled by a majority. Comments is not like that at all. The tiniest crumb, it has no concept of being annulled on Pesach. There's no minimum shear. It's infinitely potent. Again, you have this thing called matzah, and you let it go a little too long, that's all. few seconds of time, and it transformed itself into chametz. The Maral says that when you have a mitzvah to do, and you do it too slowly, not just that it's not such a good mitzvah, you introduce an element of damage. Instead of making a mitzvah, which means a physical action in the world, that lifts a Jew into the higher world, you did a physical action as a physical action, and it drew you down into the world of physicality. You know what the difference is between the word matzah and the word chametz? The word matzah and chametz in Hebrew is exactly the same letters. The only difference is that in matzah you have a hay, and in chametz you have an extra tiny drop of ink, that's all. The hay in matzah is a ches, not in chametz. And the only difference is the most smallest, smallest drop of ink that's added that changes the one into the other. One second of time in the time dimension changes the one into the other. That's what it is. The concept of Pesach is moving fast. The concept of Pesach is that the Jewish people are being formed at that moment, and they must be formed at the moment of their conception as a people that transcends time, transcends space and time. We have to move with the alacrity that shrinks our existence in this world down to the absolute minimum that the world needs. When you shrink it down to that smallness, you know, in all the ten plagues, there was one that the Egyptians could not reproduce. You know that? Of all the ten plagues, so whenever the plague manifested, the Egyptian sorcerers managed by their magic to produce a similar manifestation. But there was one they couldn't do, kinim. Kinim means lice. They could not manufacture lice. Why? Because the, the, the sorcerers say they're too small. Too small. Contamination, spiritual impurity can only take hold on things that are, yeah, they have substance, that have mass, that expand in space and time. When you approach the minimums, so then only kedusha, only sanctity can take effect. But not contamination. That's why, the, that's why the many sources say that in the moment of inspiration, if you act in the moment of inspiration, nothing can go wrong. Again, we're not talking about foolish decisions and rushing. But if you act in the moment of inspiration, there's no heaviness. There's no heaviness. It's only when, th- when time starts to get it. Yeah. I mean, to give a really simple example, just in case it's not clear. The first law in the code of Jewish law is to get out of bed in the morning. It says that this is a spiritual law. It says, make yourself like a lion to arise in the morning. What kind of spiritual system is it that tells you how to wake up in the morning? You've got to get up. What's spiritual about that? But you know what the meaning is? The meaning is that when you wake up, you know, again, I'm sure it happens to no one here, but it does happen to there are people lowlier than you who wake up at 6.30 in the morning and uh, as they open their eyes, the first thing they hear is a very interesting voice. The voice says, you know how cold it is out there? You know how warm it is in here? Don't do anything rash like get up now. So you say to this voice, yes, but I mean, you know, I've got things to achieve. If I get up now, but, you know, a long day ahead of me. He says to him, don't panic, let's think about it. <laughs> you know what you would do with another hour's sleep today? You'd be rocket powered if you have another hour's sleep. I know you lose an hour, but look what you'd achieve. 
So you say, no, look, I'll splash my face with cold water and have a strong coffee, I'll be fine. He says, don't, don't do anything rash. <laughs> what happens in that conversation, of course, is that the longer it lasts, the, the less hope you have. Right? And of course, it depends on, your, on the quality of your Yetzirah. It depends who you are as a spiritual being. If you're a lowly individual with no potential, and if you have no spiritual power, no potential, that battle lasts about two seconds and you go straight back to sleep. <laughs> but if you're a person, if you have some spiritual potential, if you have some content, which means basically if you have some promise in the world, if you have some spiritual power which manifests itself, what happens is that conversation lasts... You spend that hour in bed debating the question. That's what happens. <laughs> That's what happens. So that you don't sleep and you don't gain the hour. <laughs> and the reason is because this lower side of your, this lower part of yourself, right, is not trying to make you sleep. He's trying to kill you. That's what he's trying to do. He's not interested in your sleep. He's interested in killing you. So if you've got real potential, then you're the kind of person who spends that extra hour debating the question and losing <coughs> on both ends. What's the Shulchan telling you? It's saying like this. As you open your eyes in the morning, leap out of bed at that first moment of consciousness. Before the battle begins, there's only a moment of purity. That's what it says. When you stand there, shaking and trembling and wondering what came over you, (laughs) that's where you can debate the point. Even then it's hard enough, but at least it's a fair battle. But while you're on his turf, once the expansion of physicality has begun, it only amplifies itself. And therefore the first law, such a beautiful thing, the first law in the Code of Jewish Law is the first thing to do in the morning, which is to do that which precedes time and transcends time. <coughs> of course, it doesn't only mean getting up in the morning. It means that everything you do should be at that level of moving ahead of time. Let's go back to the question we asked and see if we can now begin to answer it. Going out of Egypt, going out of Egypt, we had to do fast. Why? Another ten minutes in Egypt would not have made us would not have caused us to sink into being Egyptian. That was destroyed. No Jew was impressed in any way by Egyptian culture and society and impurity and immorality. That was not the problem. The problem with a little bit more time in Egypt would have been a little bit more time. That was the problem. The Egyptians were an earthy people sunk into the physicality of the world. Had we spent a few more minutes there, had we gone out slowly then our moment of conception would have been a moment that expanded in time. We would forever have been a people who expanded in time. The moment of our conception, the nucleus of what the Jewish people is, had to be that which is beyond the world. And therefore the moment of our formation, which will always affect everything that we are, is a moment of the newness of the springtime, which is on Pesach. And it had to be a moment of beating time, moving ahead of time, going out fast, <clears throat> that was the danger. The danger was the danger of the moment of our own creation. It was not being influenced by the Egyptian culture. That was long dead. It was the moment of being influenced by the world around, by expanding, by that leisurely pace. And what would have then happened would have been that the matzah of the Jewish people would have become the chametz, which is what Pesach comes to, <coughs> to annul. The searching out for the chametz obviously means one's looking at one's own personality for that which is an expansion, that which is inflated, elements of ego, elements of, of, of immaturity, of sensuality. That is what matzah becomes when it's allowed to expand in the world of space and time. And therefore, the concept here that we have to remember <coughs> is that the formation of the Jewish people, just like Rosh Hashanah, is the day of the formation of the individual 
Pesach is the moment of formation of the Jewish people as a nation. And therefore, in that moment, that instant of formation, when the Jewish people are bonding together, sit at the Seder table, you relive that incredible moment that was more than a moment, that was beyond a moment, that was beyond time. The thing to work on then is to raise yourself to that level which represents a step beyond time. You reach up at that moment, this should be the concentration, this should be the focus. Now you should approach the Seder with that concept of using time to transcend it. The Sassema says that we call it a Seder. It's a remarkable thing. You know what Seder means? Seder means an organized sequence. Now, Seder means that which is natural. The deeper sources always use the word Seder in Hebrew to refer to that which has a natural sequence. Now, the natural order of the world is called a Seder. It's B'Seder, right? It's organized. And it you know what the Seder is? A celebration of everything that's not in order. It's all miracles. The main thing the Rambam says to tell your children on that night is the miracles that accompanied us, accompanied us as we went out of Egypt. The month of Nisan being miracles, that's the main thing to transmit to your children that Hashem appeared directly. It was all miraculous. And the Jewish people take a recounting of miracles and we call it Seder. Remarkable thing. We don't call it recounting of miracles. We call it order. There's nothing ordered about it. The whole description of everything, all the plagues and the whole exodus were completely beyond any Seder. And we call it a Seder. Says the Swasemis, the concept is that our Seder, that's what our Seder is. The world's Seder is the natural Seder. But the Jewish people say that our natural dimension is the dimension that transcends the natural. That's who we are. So when Jews exist in this world, and we think we're here to cope, to be successful in their terms, and to cope and to manage, that's not what you're here for. Coping is just having the bottom of your feet in contact with the ground. That's, just, that's where you begin. But what you do, and who you are, and what, you, what you're here to achieve is something much more than occupies the natural dimensions of space and time. That's a travesty and a tragedy that the Jewish people have come to a level where we think we're doing well if we're coping. If we're managing, if we're successful in non-Jewish terms, in worldly terms. It's got nothing to do with who you are. Those are only tools of survival. You need them just to keep going. But that's not your achievement. Your achievement in the world is to take those things and move beyond them into what you're supposed to be. Living in the world and being successful within the world is as foolish as two people getting married and thinking only about the bodies. That's not marriage. That's the tool that, 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 that that's the springboard that can help a person arrive at what a real relationship means. What the depth means. Pesach's the time to understand that at least one night a year, to imprint that and blaze it into your consciousness, is that it has to be a night, at least, at least that night, where you sit there and you recount that system of miracles, which is the Jews' normality. If you can do that, then you can begin the process of breaking the bonds of slavery, of Egyptian contamination, slavery in all its senses, and begin to approach what real freedom means.